so good to be with you guys today. Uh, we are continuing our From Here to There series where we've been talking about some mile markers uh, that are part of journeying with Jesus. And so we've talked about how we're all ordinary people who answer the call and God calls each of us to himself. And then uh, we team up with others, we learn new things. And then tonight we're looking at that next mile marker, which is feeling the struggle. Um, when Drew asked me to do this, he said, I thought you'd be a good fit for this phase, which um, I don't know if that's a compliment, but uh, what it made me think of was when there was, when I was in student ministry, there was a student that came up to me and said, do you know who you look like? And I said, who? And they're like, sadness from inside out. Uh, and now you'll never unsee it, right? Like, that, that's where that is. Um, but Jesse Cruikshank, the founder of Whoology, which is a curriculum some of y'all are walking through right now, and what this whole series is based off of, um, she She's an expert on the intersection of neuroscience and change, and she says, there is no change without challenge. It's not the things that we're successful at that create growth. Growth happens in the breaking. Crises of faith are a part of the journey. Now, I don't know about you, but I did not grow up learning that in church. Um, oftentimes, we're told by culture, both inside and outside of the church, that life is supposed to be up and to the right if you're doing it right. Right? Like, like, and, and then we learn that when we have setbacks, when we have suffering, when we fail, when we have doubts, when we struggle, those are actually signs that we're off course. Certainly in life, and like most definitely in faith, right? Like we start to believe that. But what if struggling is actually a sign that you're on the right path? What if struggling is an essential in learning faithfulness? We've been tracing through the life of the Apostle Peter as we've walked through each of these mile markers. And tonight we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. And we're going to be jumping into one of the most well-known moments of Peter's life. And it's not a great moment. And so if you have your Bibles, you can flip to Luke chapter 22, starting verse 31. Um, To give us some context, we're popping right into the middle of the Last Supper. Jesus' final dinner with his best friends before he goes to die. And Jesus is saying a bunch of things to his disciples that like don't make sense to them because he knows what's coming, but they don't quite get it yet. And so in the middle of this conversation with everybody, Jesus turns and talks to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, which is another name for Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny three times that you even know me. And then after this super lighthearted conversation, uh, Jesus ends up bringing his disciples to the Mount of Olives, uh, he, where, that's where he prays and asks the Father to, like, if there's any other way, please let it, there be any other way. And then Judas shows up with the crowds and betrays him. And then we pick up in verse 54. It says, So they arrested Jesus and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A serving girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied a woman. He said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still 
speaking. The rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Do you know what this moment feels like? I mean, have you ever felt like a complete failure? Have you ever felt like you let God down? Have you ever, has your confidence in what you thought you were capable of, or maybe what you thought you were never capable of, ever been shattered? Because that's the moment Peter was in. He had been journeying with Jesus every day for three years, right? He had, he had seen the healings firsthand. He had been a part of miracles happening. He had heard Jesus's words in front of crowds and behind closed doors. Like his friendship with the living God was real. He knew Jesus. And he was so sure that he wasn't going to screw it up. He was so sure that he even said to Jesus, even if everybody else loses it, I'm not losing it. I got you, Jesus. I'm down. But then the next thing he knew, it all kind of fell apart. He kind of fell apart. He failed, and it was personal. Have you ever been there? Where you were so sure, and then suddenly you're not. Where you were so confident, and then suddenly you're ashamed. Where life suddenly feels confusing. Where life suddenly feels like, you're just wrapped in failure and doubts and anger and pain. I want to pause for a second here and kind of let us sink into this a little bit. For us to let this get a little bit personal. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to break out into discussion groups in a second. But first I want to give us a quiet moment to reflect. Here's the questions I want to ask you guys to think about. Can you think about a time when you really failed? Like Really? And what did that feel like? What emotions come up for you? Where do you feel it in your body? What thoughts start racing through your mind? And when you get there, I want you to think about how do you perceive God when you're feeling like that? Not like how you think you're supposed to think about him, not the things you would say like in church, but how, where do you see God? Where do you feel God when you're feeling like that? And so I want to give us a few minutes to just like be quiet and sink into these questions. Let whatever needs to come up, come up. And then in a few minutes, I'll have us break out into just like small groups, grab a couple people around you. And I'd love it if you're willing to kind of just share with each other what that reflection was like for you, okay? So let's just spend a few minutes and, and be quiet and reflect. your mind spinning a little bit. For me, I don't know if y'all know this about me, but I am very sensitive to failure. I always have been, probably always will be. Um, but when I feel like I have failed, like I like immediately start feeling it in the back of my neck and in my throat and in my chest and my hands start feeling claiming like they are right now. You know what I'm thinking about it? And everything, especially right here, just starts feeling really stuck. Um, and then when I was reflecting on these questions earlier in the week, like when I try to think about God in the midst of that feeling, like to be super honest, I don't really want to be around him when I'm feeling like that. And I've noticed this pattern of like when I feel like that, like I want it to wear off even just a little bit before I start like thinking about engaging with God in any way. And I like realized, I'm like, oh, I have this thought that came up that's kind of like 
I don't want God to see me like this, which was so interesting. I was like, huh, okay. I need to find a therapist, uh, Lauren. Uh, and though, what I think was happening, though, is that oftentimes if I feel like I'm failing, I start feeling a lot of shame. And shame is this sense of at the core of who I am, I am no good and I can be no good. And I'm sure that all of us have experienced that at least a time or two in our lives. But here's what I know about shame. It's, it's like clockwork. When we feel it, we want to hide, right? It's Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned and their eyes became open to their nakedness, what do they do? They sow fig leaves to cover themselves, right? To hide parts of themselves. And if you go through and read Genesis 3 and verse 8, it says, they hid from the Lord God among the trees. It's Peter in this moment that we read about in his denial, like upon realizing what he had done, verse 62 says, he left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Sometimes hiding doesn't look like covering. It looks like bouncing. It looks like leaving. But in Peter's story, that's not the only place he hides. If you actually go over to the Gospel of John and read the last chapter there, it's after Jesus' resurrection and he's looking for all his disciples and he goes to look for Peter. And where does he find Peter? He's back out fishing, doing the job he had done before Jesus had called him. Right? Jesus called him to fish for people, but Peter had gone back to his old job. Peter had gone back to his life before Jesus. There are so many ways that we hide. We hide by covering. We hide by leaving. We hide by giving up on the things that we know we're called to. We hide from God. We hide from others. We hide from ourselves. We hide from our senses of calling. We fail. We feel shame. And then we go back to what we know. We go back to depending on ourselves. We go back to old distractions. We, we go back to settling and we distance ourselves from God. And I think some of that is because underneath it all, we kind of believe that if we're struggling, we're not where we're supposed to be. We wouldn't say it like this, but we act like struggling is a part of life pre-Jesus. But once I'm a Christian, I'm not really supposed to struggle. Right? We, we act like that. And we see struggling as this detour in the life of faith. But the encouragement I want to offer us tonight is that when we're actually following Jesus, struggling is not a detour, it is a doorway. Struggling is not a detour, it is a doorway. See, culture does not know what to, how to deal with suffering. Culture doesn't know how to deal with real failure, real struggling. The business sector, it says stuff like, fail forward, whatever that means, <laughs> right? Like, I was thinking about that earlier this week when you hear that in corporate, and I'm like, it sounds nice, uh, like, up front, but then when you start peeling back what that means, they're kind of like, if you have to fail, like, do it quickly, get it over with, and move on, and do it less, please, <laughs> right now, don't do it, <laughs> right? Like, that's what fail forward means. Like, and, and none, of, none of that gets at the heart of the failure. It's just like, please move on. And inside the church, we're not much better. We say weird, vague stuff like, I have an unspoken prayer request. <laughs> right? Okay, like, I don't want to talk about my struggles and failures. Please don't ask me goodbye. We think of struggling as this, like, unfortunate detour that happens to us if we're not good enough. Like, if we were just better, then maybe we wouldn't struggle. If we were just a better mom, a better husband, a better student, a better kid, a better employee, a better girlfriend, a better Christian, then maybe we wouldn't be struggling the ways that we're struggling right now. But look at Peter. He walked with Jesus every day for three years. You don't get better discipleship than that. Here's the thing. Closeness with God doesn't mean you won't struggle and fail. 
And for me, that's good news. Struggling isn't a detour. It's a doorway. It is an entry point. It's an opportunity to go deeper. Jesus said in John 16, 33, that here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? Like following Jesus does not mean we're not going to struggle. In fact, Jesus tells us that we absolutely will. Let me bring us back to the beginning of the verses that we read in Luke 22. I really want us to like just zoom in on the first two verses. So Jesus says to Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Are we noticing how crazy this verse is? Jesus did not say, I've pleaded a prayer for you, Peter, that your faith would not fail so you won't deny me and won't have anything to repent for. That's not what Jesus said. Peter's faith not failing was not equivalent to him not failing in the moment. Jesus prayed for Peter's faith to not fail, knowing he was going to mess up big time and have something to repent for. But then Jesus said, hey, when you notice that, when you figure out that you failed, come back to me and then help your friends. That's what Jesus says. And that's the beauty of following him. He is honest about our weakness, so we can be too. We don't have to pretend. And listen, momentary failures cannot take our callings or our purpose from us. They can't. Jesus didn't see Peter's struggle as a failure of his faith. Jesus saw Peter's struggle as another step in his journey of faith. Struggling is a part of life on this side of eternity. We're going to fail. We're going to experience heartache. We're going to doubt. We're going to be disappointed. And we're going to disappoint others. And we can act like struggling is this detour. And try to get around it. And try to get through it as quick as possible. Hiding because we're ashamed. Or isolating ourselves. And feeling afraid. Or we can see struggling as a doorway. As an entry point. For God to prove to us he is all he says he is. And we can choose to step in deeper. Like, it's one thing to say that you believe God is a provider. It's a different thing to need him to provide what your bills are due when you don't have any money in your bank account. Right? It's one thing to say that you believe that God is light. It's a different thing to need him to keep you afloat each day because it feels dark from depression every moment of every day. It's one thing to say you think God is a forgiver. It's a different thing to test that out by confessing your sins. It's one thing to say that you think God is a comforter. It's a different thing to demand God give you some answers on the day you lose somebody you love. When we struggle, we get the chance to experience God for ourselves, not what somebody else tells us about him. We get to know for ourselves. Like he's either going to be who he says he is or he's not. Struggling is a doorway and we get to choose. Whether we open that door and let God enter and we get to choose whether we step through. When we struggle, we start that process of getting to the end of ourselves. We discover our limits. We discover our own frailty. We discover that maybe our first couple times through those big questions in life were actually too shallow. We discover that we're not as in control as we'd like to think we are. We discover that our own strength and willpower are just not going to cut it. You know, for me, when I was going through my hardest days of depression, I knew that I knew that I knew in a different way that I couldn't save myself. Like, it just didn't matter how hard I tried. It didn't matter how many books I read. It didn't, it didn't matter. None, none of that mattered. It, I, I learned in a new way. I felt it. Of like, I cannot fix myself. And it's the same when I look at 
the, the sins of my life. I have this friend named Hannah, and we have been doing confessions together since I was a sophomore in college, so it's been like 11 years. And uh, what we do is we try to do this about once a month where we hop on FaceTime, and uh, we confess our sins to the Lord, and the other person just listens and witnesses. And when you're done confessing all the things that the Holy Spirit brings to mind, the other person prays for you. It's pretty fun. Uh, and this is what I've learned, confessing sins with Hannah for as long as I have. It's like, there are sins I've confessed to God in front of her, not for weeks, not for months, but for years. For years. And I'm just like, every time, I'm still screwing up in this way. In that process, like, I know that I know that I know that I don't have the power to make myself righteous. Like, I don't have what it takes to make myself a good person, clearly. Like, I've learned that. Struggling is a doorway. When we struggle, we discover our weakness, and it is deeper than we thought it was. But struggling is also how we discover that God is truly for us, and that is deeper than we think it is, too. You know, for me... uh, dealing with depression and and doing confessions with Hannah, those are two examples of thousands of ways that I struggle and see my own shame. But through those experiences, I also know that I know that I know that God has not and will not give up on me. Like, I know that. And I know that in a way that nobody can take from me. Not mental illness, not church trauma, not poverty, not plenty, not secularism, nothing. Like, I'm so sure Because God has proven himself to me personally. Struggling is a doorway. When we struggle, we discover our weakness, but we also get to discover God's strength. We discover that we follow a God who meets us where we hurt the most. We discover that it is in God's character to find those who are hiding and to soothe those who feel lost and shame. That's who he is. And it's all over scripture, right? In Genesis 3, God looks for Adam and Eve when they're hiding in the garden. And he clothes them to cover their shame. In Luke 22, where he read, I love the way the 19th century Scottish evangelist, and his name is Henry Drummond, puts it. He says, in Peter's denial, the Lord turns first. The Lord turns first. It's so small, but like Jesus didn't wait for Peter to look at him when he screwed up. Immediately, Jesus looks for Peter in the midst of his shame. In John 21, when Peter had given up on his calling and had gone back to the life that he knew, Jesus showed up on the shores of the water he was fishing in. And in Revelation, Jesus says to all of us that he stands at the door and knocks. Struggling is a doorway. We follow a God who understands struggle, who struggled toward the cross and bore the weight of all human struggle in his death. And the cross shows us that God understands and shares in our struggle. So when we struggle, we have an opportunity to share in the life of Christ. The cross shows us that God truly is strong where we are weak. And the cross shows us that God can take all of our failures, all of our shame, all of our doubt, and he can make us right and heal us. Jesus' body bore our shame. His body absorbed our pain. And his resurrection transformed all of that death into life. But the story doesn't end even there. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul tells us that all of us together are Christ's body. And in Galatians, we're told that as a body of Christ, we are to bear one another's burdens. So on the cross, Jesus' body absorbed our shame, our failures, our sins, our regrets, our disappointments, and put them to death. And his, he resurrected so we have this hope for an eternal future where that, none of that stuff's going to exist anymore. But here 
in the in-between, we are his body. We are his body. So we're going to struggle, but we are his body. And our calling together is to absorb one another's pain. Together, we're called to be a vessel that transforms shame to resurrection power. You know, an unexpected gift I've received from doing confessions with my my friend Hannah, for as long as I have, is seeing my own relationship with shame kind of just laid out there every month. Like, this woman has listened to me tell God all the worst things I've ever done, thought, and felt in detail over and over and over for years. And I have never once felt judged by her. She always receives me. She always prays fresh prayers for me, even when they feel like really, really old sins. She's this embodied reminder for me again and again that God's grace and mercy toward me are real. Because when I, when I listen to Hannah, when I see the way she looks at me as I'm confessing, I think if Hannah can love and accept me in this, how much more can God? And yet here's the thing. Every time, there's not been one time this hasn't happened. Every time when I approach confessions, to be honest, I want to hide. <laughs> like, I've done these calls for years, and, and I've noticed this. Like, every time we get to the part where we're like, okay, let's stop small talk, and let's, stop, let's confess our sins. Like, every time there's this part of me that's like, okay, which part am I going to make sound better than it actually was? <laughs> what stuff can I gloss over and not make it sound like I am an actually horrible person? Right? Like, it's so visceral. I want to hide every time. See, shame isn't healed by theology. It is touched and changed by embodiment. Every time I approach confessions with Hannah, I want to hide, but I don't hide because I've been loved. So if you're struggling, we're in good company. But as we struggle together, let's be Jesus' body. Let's find those who are hiding. Let's be soft places to land for those who are hurting. Let's show up for those who have given up on themselves. And let's not let each other forget what we're made for. Struggling is not a detour. It is a doorway for the church. And if you choose to step through, you'll find there's more than enough room for all of us. Let me pray for us. God, we're just so grateful to come into your presence. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would minister to each of us in this room. That where we're hurting, Jesus, would you just place your hand there and mend and heal. Where we feel ashamed, Lord, I pray that your truth would set us free. Where we feel lost and abandoned, confused. Would you bring order to chaos as you've done again and again? Thank you for being so good to us. I pray um, for anyone that's walking through some really hard stuff right now that you remind them in tangible ways that they can feel and see and touch and taste that you are for them and you're with them and you have not forgotten them. That you see them, God. Thank you for loving us enough to keep coming after us. I pray the same in your name. Amen.